Good evening. I, I want to begin by acknowledging that we uh, have been in a series on the Psalms called the Songbook of God's People. But we're going to deviate from that series tonight, and we're going to um, pick up where we ended at the end of our parish meeting last Sunday, when I just encouraged us as a community to, to really come to the Lord in prayer, uh, to seek the Lord in prayer. And so I want to address that subject tonight as a community uh, at Church of the Cross, uh, in this place where we are at the present, and just allow for God's Word to address us um, on that out of Matthew 7. So we're, we're not in the Psalms tonight. Some of you are like, yes! You know, we're not in the Psalms. Um, but we're in Matthew. We're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got a Bible, you want to open up to Matthew 7. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 in Matthew 7. And I, I want to address this. Um, uh, one of the first things, series that we did in Church of the Cross's history was uh, a series on the Beatitudes at the beginning of this sermon that Jesus gives in Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, this is Jesus's, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal, or, or whatever you want to call it, in terms of the sermon that he gives here in Matthew 5 through 7, the most famous sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's repeated in Luke 6 in a different kind of, slightly different fashion. The, the, the best guess of scholars is that this was a sermon that was preached on many different occasions, um, and uh, that Jesus tweaked it here and there, um, as preachers are prone to do. So um, we're looking at that, Jesus was giving them a vision for what life was going to be like in the kingdom of God. He was painting a picture for what the, the people of the kingdom uh, would look like, what this life was, was meant to be. And, and he was casting before them this um, incredible vision of what it was to be a follower of Jesus, what it was to live like that. But, but consider just for a moment the extraordinary demands that Jesus was placing upon his hearers that day as he spoke on the hillside. Um, Be therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Be meek, be poor in spirit, hunger and thirst for righteousness. When somebody upsets you, um, turn the other cheek, forgive. When, when, uh, don't lust after women, don't, don't be angry, don't, uh, like all of these things, um, don't be greedy, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. Don't put your treasure on earth, but put your treasure in heaven. Just on and on and on. And, and you know, everybody, I think almost everybody in the world is, is amazed at this sermon, um, uh, including those outside of the Christian church, outside of the Christian faith. And Gandhi, this was one of his favorite texts in the Bible, was the Sermon on the Mount, um, as a non-Christian looking at Jesus' teaching. But the reality is, the question that I, I want to bring before us um, tonight is, is, as Jesus is teaching these things, the question begins to arise, how in the world, Jesus, how in the world are we going to live like that? You know, how are we going to walk into this, this vision of the kingdom of God that you're laying out before us um, today as we're hearing it from you? And that question um, leads us to this section toward the close of Jesus' sermon. It's a familiar section. Um, it's a section that, that many of us probably have known for a long time. Um, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. You know, um, anybody who knows the song Seek Ye First knows this verse uh, because this is, this is where that verse comes from. And so this, this kind of build up as Jesus is preaching, this, this, this crazy vision of what it means to live life in the kingdom of God, kind of leading to this sense of like how in the world, how in the world, and we get to this moment and Jesus says, okay, here's the way we're going to do this. Here's the way we're going to do this. And what he basically says is he says that 
uh, that it's a life of persistent prayer. It's a life of prayer that leads us, that leads to an unleashing of the power of God in our lives to live in this way uh, that God is calling us to live. And I want to um, say one thing very specifically and then, and then set this up and then, I, and then there's, there's going to be four um, points for this time tonight. The first thing, that, just to set it up, is to say that this, Jesus says, you know, ask, seek, knock, and then he says, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So great, we walk away from this verse and we say, great, now, God is my personal genie, and I want, you know, I want to be healthy, and I want to be, and I want to have, you know, a great this or that, or I want to, you know, a big shiny red car or whatever, so sweet, thank you for that verse, God, I'm going to take that and apply it, and we do that, and we kind of rip it out of its context, and it's never meant for that context, obviously. Um, the context within which this promise of God's hearing and responding is made is this vision of the kingdom life that Jesus is laying before his people. And so this, is an, this, this, this section that he gives is a call, is a, is a promise that God will give what is needed to live that life. It's a specific teaching, in other words, an answer to the question of how. How. So a quick follow-up question. Um, if indeed this is right, that Jesus is saying, okay, the way that we're called to, to live this life that Jesus is painting in front of us is to go to the Lord in prayer. The, the next question is, why is it that prayer is the one thing that most of us live with a lot of guilt about all the time? Um, prayer is the one thing where it seems like, you know, anytime it comes up in a conversation, it's, it's kind of like, you know, don't, please don't ask me how much I pray every day um, because I don't really want to tell you. And there's just kind of that sense of uh, we kind of carry that around with us. And, um, and I just want to suggest, as we get into these four points, that actually understanding the four things that undergird this teaching of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the single most important thing in terms of truth that can animate, uh, drive, energize the prayers of God's people. So this is a time for our community to be in prayer. So this is an, this is an offering to us of what can drive that heart to seek the Lord. Uh, in prayer. And there's, there's four things. Jesus, the first thing that he implies here um, is really interesting. You know, I, um, I think Jesus, you know, sometimes gets the rap in, in the, this day and age, at least, that he was just like a buddy. You know, he's like your best buddy. And Jesus wanted to just kind of come around and affirm and bless and, and, you know, say great, nice things to people. And that's sometimes the picture that we get, you know, of Jesus, um, certainly one of those pictures of Jesus that's kind of famous in our culture, um, just kind of implies that's, that's the way Jesus is. But, you know, um, I, I don't know too many, um, now obviously people look to Jesus and admire Jesus, but I want to point your attention to verse 11 for just a second. Um, because one of the things I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't spare any punches. Jesus um, speaks so plainly to his followers, and he speaks without mincing his words. He speaks directly. Um, think, for example, before I get to verse 11, just like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and, and you know, is thinking that he's got it all together, and he's like, what, you know, what else do I have to do? Look, I've got everything in order. I've done everything. And, and, and it, the, the scriptures recount that it says Jesus looked at him, and he loved him, so don't ever confuse these kinds of words of, of challenge with out, uh, not as loving. He loved him, and then he said to him, you know, yeah, you've done all these things, but one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and give the proceeds to the poor and then come follow me. Now there's Jesus speaking directly. So verse 11, you know, I don't know many uh, uh, gifted leaders today who would come to their people and say this. He says, if you then being evil, you know, he's like, you evil. You know, that's what he's saying. He's like, 
Yeah, okay, great. Thank you for that stroke you know, along my back. This is, this is wonderful news. But it's important to, to, to start here for the teaching of this, of this section um, for this reason. Because when Jesus says this, he's making the fact that we have need explicit. And that's the first plank that undergirds all prayer, that we have a need. It's not just that we kind of have, that we kind of have like a, a sort of superficial need, not just that we have like needs for things in our life, but it's that we have a deep, 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 deep need that Jesus addresses right there in verse 11 by saying, if you then being evil, and pointing to the fact that, that he's affirming this reality that human beings are sinners who, if left to our own devices, will continue to kind of walk in our own way in rebellion from God and kind of doing our own thing and being our own master. Sometimes we take delight in those things. And Jesus is, is pointing to that here. And we really, we really don't like this truth. We, we, don't like, we don't like this. And the reason that we really don't like it is because we like to think that we're self-sufficient. We, we love to believe that we have it all together, that, that life is just going to make sense based on the way that I live, the strengths that I bring, the, the wisdom that I have, the experience that I have, the, the, the family that I have, the job that I have. Life is going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And fundamentally, really, truly, for me and for you, we all want to believe that we're okay. But the reality is, is that we're not. And give us long enough to live, give us enough different experiences, and we're all going to see at one point or another that we're not. That at some level, Jesus speaking this kind of truth in this moment is actually something that we desperately need to hear and need to embrace. We're sinners. All of us made from the same stuff. All of us prone to the same kinds of things um, as, as a human race. And that communicates deeply this, this first undergirding truth that we have need. You know, Jesus begins this sermon with the, the, the verse, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says basically, you know, you, you want to be a part of this kingdom vision that I'm about to lay out before you? Well, let me tell you where to start. Start by an honest assessment of who you are. Start by an honest assessment that you have a deep need and a lack that you cannot fill uh, with your own resources or strength or ambitions or whatever. S start there. And, 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 and the reality is, is that only those who are, who are poor in spirit will actually ask, seek, and knock. Only those who, who recognize the level of their need will actually be driven to a place of asking, seeking, and knocking. The, the proud and the strong do not pray. The poor in spirit pray. They cry out to God. And really all genuine prayer arises out of our acknowledgement of need, our lack. And, and this isn't actually just an insight that we have one time. This isn't just like, okay, check in that box. I got that one figured out and I'm going to move on to the next steps of Christian maturity and growth. Actually, this is something that we, we learn over and over and over again in our lives. So that the way of entrance into the kingdom, which is poverty of spirit, actually is also, and this is important, the way, of mature, the way to maturity in the kingdom. 
because it's that same insight, that same poverty of spirit that leads us to petition the throne of grace for mercy and for life and for power and for everything that we need in every moment that we face. You know, we're really good at, at overestimating ourselves. Really good at it. Um, I'd put myself right on that list with the rest of us. We're really good at overestimating who we are. The church has done it from the beginning. Take you to Revelation 3 for just a second. Um, again, another place where Jesus is a nice guy doesn't really appear um, in Revelation 3, but Jesus, the loving Savior, does. And this is what he says to the church in Revelation 3. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And this is, what, this is the part I wanted to bring us to here. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Church, first century, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. But again, the loving Jesus, not realizing, he says, that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You've come to think of yourself as something else. You've forgotten this, this reality about who you are, which keeps you dependent, which keeps you humble, which keeps you lowly, which keeps you hungering and thirsting for me. You know, um, we read out of Exodus 33 tonight that, that section from where Moses, who I think is a great example of this, you know, the, the, they're, they're, they're heading out of the, the wilderness and God was a little upset over this whole golden calf incident, you know, like that was a big deal for Israel. And, and so um, God's like, hey, I'm not going to go with you guys. I'm going to send you my deputy and, uh, because I'm really, really upset with you. And so Moses um, shows this incredible, you know, Moses, the, the, the humblest man who ever walked, shows this incredible humility, this incredible insight that's so important on this point of that we have a need. And he says, you know what, God? God, if you don't go with us, we're doomed. We got nothing going for us. Your presence is what makes us distinct as we, make, as we march forward. There's no way that we could enter into this land that you're sending us to if you don't come with us, Lord. And he's acknowledging that level of need, that depth of need, and saying, God, we need you. We need you desperately to come. And then he says, you know, show us your glory. And God shows him his glory. And then God accompanies his people on that journey. So this, this first place that drives us to prayer is that we have a need as the people of God. We have a need. Ask, seek, and knock comes from the needy. The second thing that undergirds a life of persistent prayer is the reality that God possesses all that we need to live the life that God has called us to. That God has the resources for His church, for His children, He's got everything that we need. Everything that we need. Going back to Revelation 3, I kind of left you on a downer in that note. You know, wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But let me share what the loving Jesus who speaks truth to his church then says. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He says, yeah, you've got need, but I'm counseling you to come to me. Come to me and find everything that you need from me. 
to address your need. Isaiah 55.1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he has, who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come. That's the invitation. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. Come. And buy these things without money, without price. Come. Come. I've got what you need. And we, we have a lot of, you know, what, um, in, this, in, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, you know, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Good things. What are the good things? You know, obviously we have needs for things like food, clothing, and shelter. We have needs for real things. And the Lord's Prayer that we'll pray later tonight has um, needs mentioned in that. But, but I want to suggest to you that the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11 gives us a key, a kind of insight to these good gifts that God is speaking of to his children. And, and the reality there is Jesus says, now how much more will God give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Spirit of God, the person of God, God himself is our deepest need, our deepest longing, our deepest hope. He is the one who meets all of our needs and he gives himself to his people. Flannery O'Connor, the, the Southern author, um, wrote this about the church. She said, you know, to have the church be what you want it to be would require the continuous, miraculous meddling of God in human affairs. To have the church that you want, you know, have the kingdom of God picture that Jesus is laying in Matthew 5 requires the continual, continual meddling of God in human affairs. 2 Peter 1, he says, we, are, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. One of the miracles of the gospel is that God himself has come to indwell his people. That there's a supernatural power and person residing in you and in me by the grace of God that empowers us to life. So God has all that we need is the second. The third insight is that faith, active and persistent prayer is the means by which the power of God is unleashed upon his people. Faith, active and persistent prayer is the means by which God unleashes his power on his people. And I'm taking that from this text because Jesus says, ask, seek and knock and it will be given to you. That's the means by which the power of God is deployed, is sent down, is, 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 is given. It's mysterious, yes, I acknowledge that, because nobody really understands prayer. But that's the way that the Bible and Jesus teaches about this, is saying, yes, faith in persistent prayer, which means that faith ultimately is active. Now, faith is a, is, is, is a reality that is absolutely dependent. Poor in spirit, we, we are dependent before the Lord. But I, but I want to give you, that, but I want to say very clearly that faith is not passive. And let me give you this illustration. Um, newborn babies. I have had some experience in newborn babies, as have many of you, and some of you are almost to have those experiences. Newborn babies are utterly dependent. Can they do anything for themselves? No. Really. They are dependent in every way upon their parents for life, for protection, for all that they need to be nurtured into life. But what's the one thing that a baby will do without fail, day or at any odd hour of the night, especially um, to mom and dad's chagrin? What's the one thing that a baby does? It cries out again and again and again for milk. It cries out for the very thing that the baby needs to live, to have life. The baby, though completely dependent, is not in any way passive but is fully engaged in crying out for what it needs to live. And that's the picture 
that we get here that Jesus is giving to His church and saying, you need to be like that newborn baby that is crying out to God, your Father, for the things that that you need to live. And that's an active, engaged cry. An active, engaged cry. And that cry comes from not a place, and this is important, prayer, so often I think prayer gets, gets turned quickly into a sense of, of God, meet my need. Prayer becomes very self-referential at some point and doesn't break that. And, and the poverty of spirit reality actually breaks that for us and says, you know, when we cry out to God, we're in, involving ourselves in a much bigger picture of what God is doing in the world and crying out that God would be faithful to his covenant people so that they might walk in a whole new way. Part of that, yes, is meeting specific needs and crying out for, for specific needs, but part of that is bigger. And so one of the things that that means is as we cry out, as we ask, seek, and knock, we don't do it to advance our own agenda or get our own glory. And that's where this reading from Acts chapter 8, that reading on Simon is so fascinating, where Simon's like, you know what? Like, Simon, Simon's the kind of guy that just loves to have the spotlight because he's a magician. And he likes the crowd, and he's getting the crowd, he's playing the crowd, and he's, he's getting popularity. And then he, he, come, he encounters these apostles, and they've got this, like, you know, radical, radical power. And he's like, wow, I want me some of that. And so he says, you know, I'm going to bring some money to you guys, and I, I would like to pay you so that you can help me get that, because I need that so that I can con- continue to feed my own agenda of putting myself um, up in the spotlight. And... Uh, Peter rebukes him pretty clearly and says, wait a second, you're you're trying to manipulate God here. You're you're trying to use God to get what you need, you know, to meet your needs. And so that's that's not what this faith and persistent prayer is. It's a a cry from, from humility that's crying out to God for God to be honored and glorified and made manifest, even by meeting the covenant people's needs, but to be made manifest in the world through his people, by answering his people. But the last point kind of ties all these three things together as we bring it to a close. I know it's hot in here. Um, and, uh, and that is to say that, you know, the, this, this, this passage um, gives us the spark, really, that ignites these three things together. That we have a need, that God is the, the one who meets and our, our need, has all of our resources, and that our faith is meant to be active and engaged and persistent, knocking on the door with God. And it's this final thing that, that I want to leave you with. It's this final thing that ultimately um, does really ignite the heart of the Christian more, more than anything else. It's this, it's this that I, I want you to hear as a body of Christ tonight more than anything else. Um, and, and it's the fact of verse, uh, verse 8 and verse, I mean, the whole thing really. You know, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks will be open. Um, you know, if, you, if a son asks for bread, who would give him a stone? If he asks for fish, who would give him a serpent? You know, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more? Arguing from the lesser to the greater, how much more? How much more does your Father, who is in heaven, the place where all power and all authority reside, who's ruling and reigning over all creation, how much more does he give good things to his children? It's this reality that God stands not as a stingy, um, removed, kind of, yeah, I'm not so sure about that one, and you didn't really do things right, but he stands ready to pour out his life to his people as a merciful, gracious, loving father. And you know, if you come into this place tonight, right now, and, and, you, and you sit there and go, there's just no way that I'm worthy of that kind of love and mercy and grace, 
there's just no way that I'm worthy, then I want to just say to you that that makes you more, more properly a recipient of what God has to bring. No one's disqualified from the grace of God. No one. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you did two weeks ago. It doesn't matter what you did two years ago. It doesn't matter what you did ten years ago that nobody else knows about. It doesn't matter. But God stands ready, willing, and able as a generous Father to pour out lavishly Himself most of all and His good gifts upon His children. He stands ready to give us His Spirit, ready to give us His power and strength, ready to give us His peace, ready to speak truth to us, ready to to enable us, to empower us, to walk in new ways of life, to have a passion for holiness, ready to, to enable us to love, to enable us to give, to enable us to walk on the road of the cross. And I know we've been there a a number of times over the last couple of months, but because he gave us his son, we can say these things with certainty. As Paul says in Romans 8, he stands ready to give himself to you. It doesn't matter where you are or what you think or what you feel. God stands ready to give. And so I long personally in my own life, and I long for all of us as a community, and for you if you're new here tonight, I long for this insight of the the, the readiness of God to give to those who have need, who have deep need, to drive us to our knees, to drive us to storm the throne room of grace as a people of God. Amen.